from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. The spirit of North America as told through the travels of one man. I value the good things in life. Great food, comfortable clothes, the perfect pour at the end of a long day, and the hardworking people who bring quality products to life. From what it takes to make the tastiest corn chips in the world to the perfect steak. It's not just a piece of beef laying there, it's somebody's heart and soul. How farmers and ranchers are leading the field this morning on Ag Day. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Farming is about so much more than prices, inputs, and yields. It's about feeding a growing world. And it's something that farms of all sizes and shapes do every day without much fanfare. Well, this morning, we're pulling back the curtain on how some very hardworking people make sure our favorite foods are available. Farm Journal, the parent company of Ag Day, is helping Nutrient Ag Solutions launch a new series called Leading the Field. The host of that show, which you can watch right now on YouTube, is professional NASCAR spotter Brett Griffin. Now, I got a chance to talk to him about his background and what interests him the most about telling the stories of growers across North America. Man, I grew up in a small town, Pageland, South Carolina. A lot of watermelon farmers around there, a lot of hay fields, a lot of cotton. Not a lot of things that people and animals actually eat, you know, like corn and cranberries and those types of things. So my, my biggest takeaway is the resiliency of these farmers and how opportunistic they are. I honestly was uh, honored when they asked me to host it because I'd not done anything like this in the past. So I am a curious consumer. I love to eat. I love to have a glass of wine and a cold beer. So I was definitely, I, I fit all the credentials. I just didn't have the face for TV, but somehow or another we pulled it off. So let's start our tour of how the food we love makes the journey from seed to store shelves. We begin in Champaign, Illinois, as Brett goes in search of the secret to making great tasting corn chips. I'm here in Champaign County, Illinois, to meet up with Adam, one of the biggest food grade corn farmers in this area. And I'm here to find out where corn chips come from because it doesn't matter if I'm having corn chips with my buddies or nachos before big game, I love some corn chips. So let's go find Adam to figure out how his corn plays such a big part in this seed to shelf journey. Morning, Adam. Hey, Thaddeus, how are you? I'm good, how are you doing? Good, good to see you. Good. Hey, good buddy of mine, Brett. Nice to see you. Brett, good to meet you. How are you, Adam? Good, how are you? Good. So Adam and I have been friends for about 15 years. Uh, you wanted to learn about corn chips. He's the most knowledgeable man I know about corn chips and how it gets there. I trust, I trust Thaddeus. Are you the man for this? I take his, take his advice. It's okay. good. All right, tell me why. Uh, we've been doing this for a long time. 1983 we started and uh, I'm the third generation in the family that's been involved in it. And um, we have scaled up to where we have a majority of our operation is in food grade corn on the corn side. And then we also grow soybeans. So uh, we've been around the food grade process for uh, in a long time. I just see a corn chip, right? I don't know all the things that go into this. What should I see? There is a lot more in the background that uh, does go on with it, and it, I'd be happy to show you out in the field if you'd like to take a look. Let's do it. All right. Hey, Brett, you're in good hands. I'm going to get back to the farm. Okay. Hey, good, good to see, see you guys. Take see care. You. So, Brett, this is actually one of the very first fields of white corn we planted this year. And uh, it's extremely healthy right now. Pollination's done and we're going into, uh, into grain fill. 
What are we looking for as you're shucking this? So as you pull the ear back, first of all, you know that it's pollinated just based off of the brown silk. Okay. Um, that, that means that everything is, has done its process. And then when you pull the husk back, if the silks come off of it, you know it pollinated correctly. And then also as it comes off, you just take a look at the ear itself and you can see every single kernel. Every single silk that, that comes into a corn plant attaches to one of the kernels on the ear. So the amount of brown silks that you see looks to be extreme. Well, it is extreme because there's a lot of kernels on this plant. So where I grew up and in Madden, North Carolina, we see a lot of yellow corn, not a lot of white corn. What's the difference other than the obvious, this is white? As simple as it sounds, it literally is that difference. It is the lack of yellow pigment in the kernel um, that gives it the white color. You mentioned chips, obviously that's food. Yeah. You're a food grade farmer. What is the difference between a food grade farmer and a non-food grade farmer? We have to do things a little bit different to uh, live by the food grade quality standards. Um, and those standards are set down to us by uh, the companies that we work with. And we know those standards going into it and it's a higher level of standards uh, typically than just what a commercial uh, operation has to do. And a lot of that is just what we have to do with the grain, what we have to provide and track uh, for the uh, fertilizer and chemicals and the set of standards that we have to live by to ensure that every kernel that we deliver to a food system right. is safe. That's good. That's good. This has to be your corn. It, I'm for sure it is. Yeah. We had a hard day's work and now we're sitting down and we can just cheer chips together. Cheers. And hey, cheers, yeah. brother. Cheers. Here's the good salsa and good corn chips. Mm. A good end result. All right. Thanks, Brett. And we're just getting started. Brett has so much more from his travels across North America. Making a mouth-watering steak has less to do about the grill and more about growing happy cows. We'll show you one ranch that's all about putting in the hard work to make it happen. And Brett heads north to Canada where canola is king and the challenge of growing it doesn't end when the harvest is over, as we continue to meet with farmers and ranchers leading the field. Continuing our look at the new series, Leading the Field, host Brett Griffin says, working on this series has given him a new appreciation of what farmers do every day. And they literally, farmers are just full steam ahead kind of people. And I don't think I was appreciative enough leading into leading the field to, to, to realize just how much they do for all of us to feed the world. Brett found that out on a recent trip to Patterson, California and an apricot orchard for his YouTube series, Leading the Field. Hey Dave, what's up? Hey Brett. Good to see you. Good to see you. You doing all right? Yeah, not too bad. Good. Glad you made it. But before we talk about this awesome apricot orchard, I gotta ask you, I'm from South Carolina. We say apricot. How do you guys say it all the way out here in California? For me, apricot. You're my guy. That's right. Well, you say it the right way then. All right, so tell me what makes this soil so special for growing apricots. In this area, we've got a nice, well-drained, fertile soil. We have just enough gravel, so we're not holding a lot of water. It's not very heavy soil. Apricots like that with these rootstocks. So what's going on out here this time of year? Right now, the biggest thing, as you can see behind us, is harvest. For what I do out here right now, I'm still watching for different insects, maybe some diseases, things like that. But 
This time of year, the pressure is kind of low, so we're doing all right. So when they finish harvest, you're going to get ramped up, getting ready for the next season. Now we're just worried about keeping them wet. Later on, we'll think about pruning, maybe some fertility. There's not a lot going on until about January. This is an amazing operation you've got here, sir. Well, thank you very much. We've uh, been doing this for a few years. You're about to turn 100 out here. Our operation started uh, in 1922 uh, in Santa Clara Valley. Uh, uh, they were drying uh, uh, apricots and prunes over there, and uh, the development uh, drove the family out about 1953 and came over here um, and started growing apricots. We have uh, about 800 acres of them, and uh, we pack in our packing shed here about 3 million apricots a day. And uh, when we go in, I'll, I'll show you what we're doing there, but, and we also are picking for uh, the canning industry and the fro frozen industry, so we're picking lots of apricots right now, uh, uh, truckloads after truckloads after truckloads. So uh, just a little while ago, we had a crew come through here and pick uh, some of those riper ones, and so they're going into the shed, and they'll be in there, uh, and we're packing some of them right now. So we try to get them off the tree, into the bin, into the box the same day. Still ahead, we continue our tour with Brett and how America's farmers and ranchers are leading the field. Coming up, a trip to a California winery that's all about keeping the business in the family by making sustainability a priority. Next. we've been telling you this morning about a new YouTube series called Leading the Field. Farm Journal Studios has partnered with Nutrient Ag Solutions to bring you stories from the ag world that you might not have heard. I talked with host and professional NASCAR spotter Brett Griffin. Now, Brett was excited to tell us about his visit to California wine country. And when you look at the grape farm out at Winty Vineyards that I went to see, I mean, you see millions of grapes and the fact that we can take you know, that from a vine and turn it into so many bottles of wine and so many other fun things that, that we as consumers uh, love to eat. Uh, I mean, great question. At the end of the day, just gratitude for what all these men and women do for us. And here's a little bit of Brett's trip to Winty Vineyards, a place that's been around since 1883. It's the oldest continuously operated family-owned vineyard in America. Nikki, this vineyard is beautiful. What was it like growing up around here? You know, um, I was out here in the vineyards pretty much all the time. Um, my, my family has horses, um, so we, I grew up riding horses through the vineyard with my dad or, you know, following him to work. Um, and I sort of just thought it was normal up until I, you know, got into the age of going to school and realized that it's not all that normal to be growing up out in the country on vineyards. Um, but I feel really blessed now looking back to have such an outdoor-based childhood. And I think that's really what drove me to pursue a career in vineyard management. Being in business since 1883, you know, that 139 years um, has a lot of historical background on how to manage the land and what makes sustainability so important to us is that generational history that we have because we really want to take care of the soil so that the soil will in turn take care of us so that the sixth generation and beyond has you know the opportunity to work in such a beautiful environment well right now i'm just checking for any potential problems you know this is what we do we make sure that you know, we don't get any uh, surprises. So we check, we're checking the grapes for mildew, we're checking for insects, checking for fertility, 
and just making sure that everything is going to come out right to where in the end we have a good product for Nikki to make wine. So during the growing process, what are you most worried about? Mildew. Yeah, mildew for sure. This variety here is actually called Suzao, and we don't really get mildew in this variety. Right. We might get a little bit of bunch rot. So that's when the cluster has moisture on the inside, whether that's from broken berries or maybe um, like over the weekend, it actually rained a little bit. It was like 75 and rained on Sunday last week. But right now we just finished bloom. We did a, a nice bloom um, preventative bunch rot spray that uh, it fits in with our sustainability program and Robert helped us to create that program, so. Thank y'all so much for having me. Cheers. Cheers, thanks for coming. Cheers. Nikki, next time we'll let you have a sip with us. Yeah, I would love that. This wine is definitely spot on. So what's the secret to a great tasting steak? It's about so much more than grilling and it starts at this ranch where they're growing happy cows next as we continue our Leading the Field tour. Ranchers know you need a lot of space to run a cattle operation, and as Leading the Field host Brett Griffin has found, the bigger the operation, the more the operation is built on trust. When I went to Katie's Kentucky to Seven Springs Farms, you know, Joe Nichols has probably got 100 employees out there and he can't manage all those things. And I, I literally asked him this question. I said, how did you get this operation to be so large? I mean, he has 15,000 head of cattle coming through his operation each and every year, not to mention the fact that he's a row crop farmer as well. So I, I had to ask him because I'm a business entrepreneurial guy myself. I said, how'd you get this farm to be so large? And his answer was really simple. I realized I had to get off the combine. If all I did was sat in that combine all the time, I was very limited on the size of my operation. And I truly think whether you're in farming or you're in any sort of business, you have to realize you have to be able to trust your people to your point. Teamwork is everything with these guys. So how much teamwork goes into a great tasting steak? Brett heads to Kentucky to show us where it all starts. If you're wondering where's the beef, I found it. We're here in Katie's, Kentucky at Seven Springs Farms where Joe and Ashley Nichols have an amazing cattle operation. I love beef, I love steaks for special occasions. I've always taken credit for why they taste so good. The rubs, the marinades, the reality is it's not that. It's people like them growing amazing beef. Let's go find them. You must be Joe and Ashley. Brett. Good to see you. Hi there. Hey, well, thank y'all for inviting me out here. Welcome to Seven Springs. I'll tell you what I'm looking for. I'm on a quest to find what it takes to have a good burger and a good steak. There you go. You're at the right place. <laughs> I'm in the right place. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. So tell me a little bit about this farm. We started in the backgrounding operation. We'll background around 15,000 head a year. So 15,000? 15,000. That sounds like a lot. <laughs> it is, it is a lot. It's a lot well, this of is like, This is a lot of space though. A lot of space. It is. A it's, lot of green but, space. But that's, that's part of the key to the success of, of the low death rate, happy cows, happy calves. You want them to have room to just not crowd them in, just find their own way. So you, when you say happy cow, you literally mean this cow is living its good life out here. It's happy. Every calf here gets looked at every day by a guy or gal on a four-wheeler or a horse. And seven days a week, they have to be fed seven days a week. They have to be doctored. If, if they see one ears drooping, doesn't look, looks like it might be getting sick, they'll pull it and treat it. 
and we'll, we'll put them in a different pen and keep an eye on them. Sustainability is a big part of this operation. Our farm is working together, Brett. I mean, every part of our farm works together. From our soil, we're getting nutrients from our cows, so we have the best corn that we can feed them because they're giving us the best manure they've got because we've made them so happy out here. And then we are taking everything we know about our grain, our crops, what the market's showing, and then taking that and taking it to people and having them do a nutritional analysis, what would be the best thing for us to feed our cow? We're not smart enough to come up with that, but we have people that are. And making sure that what we are leaving is better than what we started with. I walk in a grocery store and I see a steak. Ashley, what should I see? Gosh, you should see the hard work that goes into this, the blood, sweat, and the tears. Um, there's a lot of nights working on pivots. There's a lot of nights up here checking on a sick cow. There's a lot of nights that are just sleepless because you don't know. You don't know what the market's gonna hold. You don't know. So it's not just a piece of beef laying there. It's somebody's heart and soul. Now Brett isn't just crisscrossing the U.S. for a deeper dive into agriculture. He's also checking out our neighbors to the north in some beautiful fields of canola when we return. Closed captioning on Ag Day is brought to you by BASF. BASF, helping you do the biggest jobs on earth. You'll want to check back every week on Farm Journal's YouTube page for new reports from Brett Griffin and the team at Leading the Field. Now, the latest episode finds Brett in Alberta, Canada, and the lush fields of flowering canola. I've made it to Canada. We're here in Standard, Alberta at Parflesh Farms. It's absolutely beautiful. The canola is in full flower. We've got to go find Craig, the fourth generation owner of this farm that's over 100 years old. Hey, what's up, man? I'm Brett. Craig, nice to meet you. Good to meet you. This place is amazing. Thank you very much. Let's go, uh, so let's go look around. Perfect. Let's go. Craig, this is my first time on a farm in Canada. How many acres is this place? We crop about 11,000 acres. And what all are you farming here? Wheat, malt barley, field peas, and canola. This is my first time seeing canola on this scale. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's everywhere in this area. What makes this area so great for growing canola? There's a lot of reasons Western Canada is great for growing canola. Um, our climate is very favorable. It doesn't, canola doesn't like a whole lot of heat. It likes some cool time, especially during flowering. Our moisture conditions seem to be about right. It's, uh, and we have a short growing season. Canola is about 110 days to maturity. Basically what we're looking for is making sure that the, the, the canolas you know, uh, go through the flowering process, start potting up here. Uh, there are some uh, insects that start to damage the crop or have the potential to. So we'll, we'll check for those as well. Awesome, well we're glad to have you guys out here and I'm having a blast, man. I've never seen a canola field, so this is great stuff. So what are some of the challenges this time of year you guys are facing? Probably the biggest one right now is, is insect pressure. Um, if we got into a dry period um, and a, extremely hot temperatures, that can also cause problems with the flowering process. Uh, those would be the two biggest ones. Um, you know, we always like rain, but sometimes this time of year, if it gets really hot out, we end up getting a nice little hailstorm that goes with it. So that's a, that's a pretty big challenge as well, but not much you can do about that one. Once the harvest is up, what do you guys do? We uh, start getting the canola to the elevator, get it uh, down the road so it can get to the crushers. Canola is crushed into meal and oil. Meal is a reasonably high quality feed and the oil is uh, a high quality of vegetable oil, the highest quality vegetable oil there is. Um, 
anything you'd see in a shelf or in a store or at a restaurant that's labeled as trans fat free would be uh, canola oil. Awesome. So when this harvest is done, how do you guys celebrate? Oh, we might have a beer or two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know what you guys are doing later, but I'd love a beer too. But I got to say thank you for letting me come up here. This is absolutely one of the most prettiest places I've ever seen. And what an amazing farm you've got here, Craig. Well, thank you very much. And thank you for coming. Absolutely. Great to see you. Good to see you guys. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in from all of us here at Ag Day and Clinton Griffiths. Have a great day.